Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad Podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm chatting with Matt DeSantis, founder and CEO of My Bhutan, a luxury boutique travel agency, the founder of Bayul Labs, and the U.S. State Department's warden for Bhutan. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. Could you tell us how you found yourself living in Bhutan, and have you lived in any other countries? My relationship with Bhutan actually goes back far into my childhood. I went to a boarding school in the United States in Connecticut called Choate Rosemary Hall. And there I became friends with His Royal Highness Jigelugin Wongchuk, who's one of the royal family members in Bhutan. In my early days, I remember hearing a lot of stories of Bhutan. And I'd, obviously hearing it from His Royal Highness's vision was a very with his dedication and love to the country. It was a very profound way to learn about and understand the country. It wasn't until later after I finished university at Columbia in Manhattan and then went over to work with Accenture that Bhutan started transitioning its governance from a monarchy to a constitutional monarchy. And at that time, there was a lot of need for systems development work to prepare for this transition, both in the private and public sectors. So that's actually how my work began with Bhutan. It was from afar, just at night while I had free time in hotels while working for Accenture and just gratis building systems for both sectors. And prior to Bhutan, I hadn't lived in other countries per se. However, I was moving around the U.S. quite a bit and living quite the nomad lifestyle. And then I had short stints living in South America as well. You have founded two different companies, My Bhutan and Bayou Labs, along with some nonprofit organizations. Could you tell us about these and what has inspired you to create them? My Bhutan, the, the travel designer and outfitter, that actually began very unknowingly whenever there were high interest guests coming to Bhutan. At the time, I was actually I was still helping develop systems as I had mentioned, and also supporting some policy reform work. And this was about 2010 when I first moved to Bhutan. During that time, there was also an interest to begin to grow relationships internationally. And so whenever there were high-interest guests coming to the kingdom for various different reasons, especially in the tech sector, I stepped in to help out with a lot of the travel arrangements. In a way, I was serving as a bridge to developing relationships between different countries with Bhutan. That's how My Bhutan came about. And then in 2013, we realized the benefit of what was being developed, and we decided to formalize it into a business. And with that, we decided that it had to have a lot of good for Bhutan. And for my interest personally, to start a startup in a country very far from what was home, it had to have much more good to it than just being a startup company. And so with that, we designed this infrastructure with the company that went ahead and supported projects that were of national interest or of just personal interest to ourselves. So we've been involved in a number of nonprofits through the work we do with My Bhutan. One of them is a very historic one. It's, it's led by myself and the princess. And it's a nationwide documentation and digitalization of Bhutan's sacred objects across all 2,500 plus monasteries. This is the first time in Bhutan's history that all tangible 
history is being recorded. Previously, it had always been passed down orally. The second project is a pretty massive afforestation project that we're doing in partnership with the Department of Forests and Green Bhutan, which is responsible for all the plantation work, as well as a group called the EcoMatcher. And the third project that we do, which is a nonprofit, is actually years back I brought baseball to Bhutan. It's now the 17th national sport, so we have kids across the whole country playing. And then the final one is related to endangered crafts. So that's my Bhutan. And then on the other hand, we have Bayou Labs, which is technology software that handles a lot of the payments infrastructure and other applications for countries like Bhutan. And so with that, we built Bhutan's first international payment gateway years back. What hurdles have you faced as an entrepreneur there and what are the perks? When we first started building a lot of the technology that were solutions for upcoming and emerging industry in Bhutan, a lot of it was tools that had not been used yet countrywide. And so there was a lot of user acceptance that had to be understood and recognized by industry government that is challenging at times. But once we started to really build the understanding of what these systems can do for the industry and for its growth and for the government, that that's when we started to really see the traction with it. But it certainly was a challenge because introducing tools that previously are not used at all raises a question. An example for you is the payment gateway that we built previously. Tourism in Bhutan has always historically since the 90s been very important. It's one of the largest industries in the kingdom. All payments had been sent via wire transfer prior. It's a destination that's known for very high-end travel. And normally people only visit once in their lifetime. And so sending very large sums of money to banks, to businesses that you hadn't previously interacted with on the other side of the world was a large concern for many. So building a very trusted network for payments was something that really stabilized the assurance and the security of the customers. But all along the way, being able to translate that to local merchants and have them understand the benefits is a process. And what are the perks? For me, I've always enjoyed building things from the ground up and being a part of a bigger picture than just the growth of the business itself, being able to see an entire industry benefit from solutions that we've developed as a team together has been really uplifting just from a personal satisfaction perspective and to see the opportunities that it's brought across industry has been really uplifting as well. So I'd say that it's always a very challenging environment when you're entering into a scenario where you're introducing new innovative ideas or new technologies to an industry, especially one in a small, isolated country. But to see them be adopted and to see the benefits that they bring, to me, that's what brings really the smile to my face. What have you found most surprising about living in Bhutan? 
Well, first of all, it's one of the most fascinating places in the world to live because it's designed in a very different way. The philosophy of Bhutan is just, it's so pioneering that it's, it, it doesn't exist elsewhere. And so if you haven't learned about it yet, Bhutan, its leading policy driver is not fully economic driven. Its entire strategy is really well-being for the people. The philosophy was implemented by the fourth king, and it goes by, or it's known by, gross national happiness. And so there are all these factors and pillars to what makes and brings and enhances well-being for the people. These pillars include environmental conservation and socioeconomic stability and cultural preservation and good governance. And by connecting the dots with all four of those, it's believed that we're able to build more well-being for livelihoods across the country. Living in Bhutan is just such a wholly encompassing feeling because there's this connectivity between people and place and people and people that really doesn't exist anywhere else. And there's this just overlying umbrella of compassion with everyone connected. And in a way, it's a small family. And being accepted into that community obviously is something that I'm forever grateful to be a part of. What is something you can tell us about Bhutan that we couldn't find on a travel blog, online, or in a tourist book? Oh, well, we could talk for hours about that, I'm sure. But <laughs> one of the most fascinating things about Bhutan to me is if you think of Bhutan on a map, you have the highest of the Himalayas in the north that reaches all the way to the Tibetan Plateau. In fact, you have the highest unclimbed mountain in the world. That's also because it's believed that the deities live at the, the high points of the mountains, so they're not permitted to be climbed. But at the same time, it's this beautiful, sacred realm of mountains up there. And then it's home to the snow leopard and tiger and Himalayan black bear and blue sheep. And then you go down south, which is not too far. But southern Bhutan, you hit the Indian Basin, which is very low altitude. And you have one of the most protected rainforests in the world. And you have many people don't realize this about Bhutan. We have elephants and we have water buffalo these beautiful endangered fish called the golden mashir. In such a small place, a country relatively the size of Switzerland, just because of its geographic dynamic, it, in my opinion, has the most diverse geography in the world because it's really a slope from the highest point of the world to one of the lower points. From a biodiversity perspective and from just uh, landscapes and just the beauty of the land, it's one of the most amazing places I've ever seen. And even if you root back before Buddhism, Bhutan is known as the last Shangri-La because it's really the heart of Buddhism in, in the world. It's, it's stayed very true to its Buddhist beliefs over time. But there was the Bon religion prior and this was a very much like a shaman type religion where there was belief that there are spirits in the, in the skies and the rivers and the mountains and the forests 
this is something that very strongly holds true to Bhutan today, even rooted in the beliefs of Buddhism. So to see this connectivity between the surrounding natural environment and the spirituality that holds value with it is just so unique in this world, especially today. You mentioned that you introduced baseball to Bhutan. Is there now a Bhutan Baseball League? Could you tell us more about this? There is. This was a project that when we first started, it was supposed to be two weeks in a concrete slab on a blue track and field in the center of Timbu, the capital city. And it was going to be a two-week camp. And within two weeks, we had 600, 700 kids showing up every day. We just couldn't stop playing. There was so much interest and love for the sport and just the kids having the opportunity to, after school, go out and play extracurricular for free and be able to walk there, which is something that's very important because transportation can be a little challenging. So just having a centric location, it was also very near to the the police headquarters, so all the children of the police barracks would come in numbers. What was supposed to be a two-week camp ended up, it's 13 years now, and we've formed some really wonderful partnerships internationally that have helped to sustain the program over time, and we've had great supporters along the route. But most importantly, what it's resulted in is we have six districts with clubs And then we have an 8-and-under youth league, a 10-and-under, 12-and-under, 15-and-under, 18-and-under. And we're soon bringing back the Bhutan National Baseball League as well. It's been a lot of work, but it's something that we wake up every day to messages on social media with kids across the country asking when they will be able to play. And for that reason alone, it gives us the inspiration to keep going and just getting baseballs in kids' hands and seeing them on the field, building friendships and being able to socialize and being outdoors and playing sport is the real objective. How has living in Bhutan changed you? I might pull off of a little of what I mentioned before, but Bhutan is a place that just its fundamentals of life are very different from anywhere else. And so everything from how you live your personal life to how you operate and manage your business are all pulled off of values that are core to Bhutanese identity and culture and heritage. And so it's changed me in every facet of life. I think back at the mind frame I had as a businessman early on in my career compared to now and what I was taught as to what a healthy business could be defined as in Bhutan standards compared to globally, and and then how to live a healthy, mindful life. As we were talking before, you have the people who are just compassionate to the deepest parts of their soul, to this spiritual realm, which is centuries and centuries old with reincarnates filled with knowledge and just being around that changes your perception on life and gives you an understanding of 
your impermanence here and your connectivity with everything that is around you. And for the expat community there, what's it like? Who's it composed of? It's a very small community. Again, goes to the fact that Bhutan has successfully managed itself over time as a isolated country, largely because of its sustainable practices in agriculture and tourism. There's also a growing hydroelectricity industry in Bhutan, and there's interest in technology now. And so it's a small community of expats, and normally expats come in for six to 12 months. Typically, that's the duration of a stay. But the numbers of expats are always in the small hundreds at the maximum. And the majority live in Timbu. And most are focused on either nonprofit projects or foreign direct investment projects. There's also a group of doctors that have come in over the years to support the main hospital and to do training. There's a lot of upskilling that comes in. So there's a group called the DESIPS. And this is a initiative established by His Majesty. And so His Majesty's office works with DESIPS, who are essentially civil volunteers. And it's a very high national pride to be a DESIP. There's a strong interest right now in upskilling DESIPS and different tools across other industries so that there can be job generation for them. And so there's interest to bring in foreign expats to upskill in certain specialty trades. But in general, it's a very small expat community and staying in Bhutan for a duration of time beyond one or two years is quite rare. As the U.S. State Department's warden for Bhutan, you help American travelers and expats in need of help. What are some of the common problems expats come to you with? Fortunately, we don't have many. Tourism is relatively, it's it's very safe in Bhutan. It's, It's this system where there are very well-trained guides and drivers who drive everyone everywhere. There's very less accidents compared to elsewhere. Just overall, Bhutan is ranked each year as one of the 10 most safest destinations in the world. The majority of issues that we face are much more small-scale, and they're just maybe lost passports or issues with transit. In the very rare case, it's handling situations if someone has an injury or gets ill in country to coordinate with the State Department to help facilitate their safe return to their home. Do you want to speak at all about your role as the warden for the State Department? It varies quite a bit. It's a volunteer role, so I've just helped for the past 10 plus years where there is no U.S. embassy in Bhutan. It's one of the very few countries, I think only three or four, where the U.S. embassy does not exist. Obviously, having been living in Bhutan for 13 years, I'm well connected with the networks in country should there be any issues to help the State Department with any matters with U.S. citizens. In addition to that, I'll also help both sides, Bhutan and the U.S., with other projects that they have combined or mutual interest in forming together, just acting as an intermediary to connect the dots. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share about Bhutan? As I mentioned, it's a fascinating place. You can really travel around the whole world 
and each place has their own different beauty to it. I understand that, but but Bhutan, in, in a very unique way, attracts people for a reason. Bhutan finds you. There are all different reasons for why people end up in Bhutan. Everyone's experience is different. It's just a place that is very profound for self-discovery and for building really strong friendships and really reimagining and redesigning a very unique way of life that is healthy. Thanks for chatting with us today. Thank you, Michelle. It's lovely to, to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us. 